Hola, galeras. This is Jaws Blake of the Painter Files podcast. I hope you're well. Happy MLK Day. Um, yeah, let's get started. It's episode 126. Hola, galeras. So, I am having a good week, actually. It's a fairly, really, really nice week, actually. Remember to drink some water. It does a body good. Good for the... Uh, the months where they put out all the salt and all those things. I noticed like my sinuses are super dry now that they've been salting everything because of the snow that lasts 24 hours. Uh, yeah. And I'm just, like I said, I'm taking vitamins. I'm trying to work on stretching. I'm just all in all making the best of trying to get myself as healthy as I can. You know, coronavirus virus is very much alive and well, so I'm trying to avoid all the bits and pieces of things like that. It seems a little, it's a little scary some days, but I feel, I feel like I'm doing it the right way. Just got to remember to, you know, wash your hands, blow your nose, put a mask on. If you are of the mind of myself... I imagine you're also getting vaccinated. Uh, that can be a little, uh, it's, it's like a day typically of not feeling great, but it's still better than, you know, a hospital visit. So I hope you're well. I hope everything is treating you proper. And yeah, I just feel, I feel good. Uh, Alex doing really well and the cats are doing really well. Talk to my mom. She's happy. Talk to my cousins. They're doing well. My aunts and uncles, tias, tios, all these people, they're all doing quite well. Had a memory about my grandfather, my abuelo. He used this really, really tall man with his really deep voice. And he used to climb coconut trees with a belt and a machete in his mouth, a cutlass, as he called it, his gun, as he referred to it. And he would throw he would drop the coconuts and you were supposed to catch them and i was not particularly great at it like i'd be blinded by the sun and they'd fall beside me and we still eat them and drink them and do all that stuff but it was just kind of this really vivid memory i remember of him being this giant man in shorts and a polo shirt and just long limbs and it makes me smile when I think about him every day. I feel like he he looks after me. And that's a good thing. I've been working on so much art stuff, I don't know if I've been telling you enough about them. I've been drawing things in the new sketchbook. I've been painting things on my watercolor blocks. I've been doing live art shows on my YouTube channel, Painter Files. I've just been going. And I've been doing crazy amounts of work every day on my Patreon. I'm trying to remember to give myself like a break every once in a while to just relax and not just be constantly making every moment of every day but it's very easy to get kind of caught up in that to not notice that I'm working myself 
into a into a fever, so to speak. And as I was doing that, I came across some of these old ideas that I really felt were really true about a lot of stuff. Um, I'm trying to, I've always tried to live outside like the molds of what they say like an artist is, mainly on the factor because there's a lack of representation in art school of different types of artists, different styles of artists, different, even in art history. Like I remember very vividly that I learned about a lot of artists, but I didn't learn about like South American artists too much. I didn't learn about like African artists too much. I didn't really learn about like black American artists very much. Um, and I think the lack of representation in art, art history oftentimes kind of, you you miss out on all these these art styles that are created and like flowing through all these things. Like I remember learning about, I remember learning about like um, Andy Warhol, but they skimmed very much, if at all, over Basquiat. And these are two artists that existed at the same time that knew each other, except one was a Haitian, Cuban, I'm sorry, Haitian, Puerto Rican, uh, American, and the other was like this white guy who was, he was very famous, but he was, you know what I mean? Like he, he made a lot of artwork and I don't want to downplay Andy Warhol. Like I think Andy Warhol has done a lot for art culture, but it was weird that like these two artists were, they weren't even parallel to each other. They were really running side by side and you just didn't learn very much about it. And they'd always say words like draw what you see. And the problem with draw what you see is it doesn't really practice diversity and learning about all these other types of artists. Because, you know, if the only thing you see all the time are these plants from Ikea, are these plants from Home Depot, and then these posters from Ikea of Klimt and, you know, hang in there with the cat and all those types of things, you don't really get exposed to these other types of artworks. And like these art books existed at the time. Like I'm not that old. So it's kind of strange that, I don't know, I felt left out a lot of times. Like it felt unrelatable in some ways because I went to art school before I went to art school. And I learned with professors who were black professors and they taught me all these art forms and all these things. And it just never, but it was a different art school. It wasn't the one that I ended up going to. So it got skipped. They skipped over entire parts of it in portions. I learned about Andy Goldsworthy and like his found artwork that he would make sculptures with. But there have been so many amazing, like physical artists that were there in the same time frames that they just kind of skipped over. And a lot of them happen to be artists of color. And that's a little scary sometimes. Like you, you miss out on these little things where you know, it's the fire trucks. Cause naturally during this podcast, you hear fire trucks. Um, yeah, it was just, they were these amazing, amazing, amazing sculptors. I'm trying to look up somebody as we say this so that I can make my point. 
which is always funny because you're like, oh, so you don't know a bunch of them. And it's like, no, I do. I just, I'm trying to make my point. There we go. So we got Wadesworth Gerald, Serge Claude Johnson, Luis Lamont Jones. And they were all like these really amazing, like if you go to the African-American History Museum, you see all these like pieces and parts of their sculptures and stuff that they made, these masons and all this stuff. So you get like these lattice fences that literally are the backdrop of the countryside and in these bronze sculptures and then even even into once you get into like the the like actual like art sculptures that are like abstract and whatnot you've got august augusta savage hermana lewis jacob lawrence basquiat you know they just they did all these things and it it just makes me sad sometimes because there's just like there's wood carvings and there's it's just it's it's so much there but you wouldn't you wouldn't know and i think i think in a lot of ways like it depended on how sometimes things even got graded because these people would have these you grow up with these art books in your life and then from those art books it kind of it kind of reflects the artwork that you you think in your mind you want to make your heroes and all these things and you were being judged on a scale of like well this doesn't look like this european sculptor or this year i mean i took sculpture classes um as well as painting and all these things and i was like it was very weird to like see how like if you tried to make something kind of in the in the energy of one of these old sculptors it had to kind of fall under this it couldn't fall under that and it was just, I don't know, it was just hard. It was just disheartening. So I guess to that, I'd say, if you think about going to art school, by all means do, but like make sure where you go is representative of what you'd like to learn. Because not all art schools are equal. In honor of Martin Luther King Jr., I want to read a speech he did in March 25th, 1965. The name of the speech is, How Long Not Long? <clears throat> My dear and abiding friends, Ralph Abernathy, and to all the distinguished Americans seating here on the rostrum, my friends and co-workers of the state of Alabama, and to all the freedom-loving people who have assembled here this afternoon, from all over our nation and from all over the world, last Sunday, more than 8,000 of us started on a mighty walk from Selma, Alabama. We have walked through desolate valleys and across the trying hills. We have walked uh, uh, on meandering highways, and rested our bodies on rock byways. Some of our faces are burned from the outpours of the sweltering sun. Some have literally slept in the mud. We have drenched 
we have been drenched by the rains. Our bodies are tired and our feet are somewhat sore. But today, as I stand before you and think back over the great march, I say, I can say, as Sister Polyard said, a 78-year-old Negro woman who lived in the community during the bus boycotts. And one day, she was asked to walk, while walking if she didn't want to ride. And when she answered no to the person, the person said, well, aren't you tired? And with her ungrammatically profa- profanity, ungrammatically profanity, she said, my feet is tired, but my soul is rested. And in a real sense this afternoon, I can say that our feet are tired, but our souls are rested. It's a little hard sometimes to read these because like they're in a, they're in like a, a different way of, of talking than we talk now. So you have to kind of like go, wait, was that? All right. They told us we, we wouldn't get here. And there were those who said that we would get here only over their dead bodies. But all the world today knows that we are here and we are standing before the forces of power in the state of Alabama saying, we ain't gonna get, we ain't gonna let nobody turn us around. Now, it is not an accent, an accident that one of the great marches of American history should terminate in Montgomery, Alabama. Just 10 years ago, in, a ve- in this very city, the philosophy was born of the Negro struggle. Montgomery was the first city in the South in which the entire Negro community united and squarely faced its age out of oppressors. Out of this struggle, more than bus desegregation being one, I'm sorry, trying to read the way he does it. Out of this this struggle, more than bus segregation was one, desegregation was one. A new idea, more powerful than guns or clubs, was born. Negroes took it and carried it across the South in an epic battle that electrified the nation and the world. Yet struggling the clitical, the climactic conflicts always were fought and won on Alabama soil. After Montgomery, heroic confrontations loomed up in Mississippi, Arkansas, Georgia, and elsewhere, but not until the Colossus of segregation was challenged in Birmingham did the consciousness of America begin to bleed. White America was profoundly aroused by Birmingham because it witnessed the whole community of Negroes facing terror and brutality with majestic scorn and heroic 
courage and from the wells of this democratic spirit the nation finally forced congress to write legislation in the hope that it would eradicate the stain of birmingham the civil rights act of 1964 gave negroes some part of their rightful dignity but without the vote it was dignity without strength once more the method of nonviolence resistance was unsheathed from its scabbard and once again the entire community was mobilized to confront the adversity and again the brutality of dying orders shriek across the land yet selma alabama because shining moment in the consciousness of man it was worse in america in american life lurking in its dark streets the best part of instincts arose passionately across the across the nation to overcome it there was there never was a moment in american history more honorable and more inspiring than the pilgrimage of clergymen and lawmen of every race and faith pouring into selma to face danger and danger at the side of its embattled negroes confront confrontation of good and evil compressing in the teeny community of selma generated a massive power it turned to turn the whole nation to the new course the president born in the south had a sensitivity to feel the will of the country and in the address that will live in history as one of the most passionate pleas for human rights ever made by a president of our nation he pleaded that the might of the federal government to cast off centuries of old blight president johnson rightfully praised the courage of the negro for awakening the consciousness of the nation on our part we must pay our profound respect to the white americans who cherish their democratic traditions over the ugly customs and privileges of generations to come forth boldly to join hands with us from montgomery to birmingham from birmingham to selma from selma to montgomery a trail wound in circle long and often bloody yet it has become a highway up from darkness alabama has tried to nurture and defend evil but evil is choking to death in a rusty road in a dusty road and street of this state so i stand before you this afternoon with the conviction that segregation on its deathbed in alabama and the only thing uncertain about it is how constantly the segregationists and wallace will make the funerals the funeral Our whole campaign in Alabama has been centered around the right to vote and focusing the attention of the nation and the world today on the flagrant denial of the right to vote 
we are exposing the very origin, the root cause, the racial segregation in the Southland. Racial segregation as a way of life did not come about as a natural result of hatred between races immediately after the Civil War. There were no laws segregating the races then. And as the noted historian C. Van Woodward in, this, in his book, The Strange Career of Jim Crow, clearly points out the segregation of the races was really a political, I have no idea how to say that word, strate- strategium employed by the emergent, emerging bourbon interests in the South to keep the Southern masses divided and Southern labor the cheapest in the land. You see, it was simple, was a simple thing to keep a poor white mass, masses working for nearly set stav, starvation wages in the years that followed the Civil War. Why, if the poor white plantation or mill workers became dissatisfied with his low wages, the plantation or mill owner would merely threaten to fire him and hire former Negro slaves and pay him even less. Thus the southern wage level was kept almost unbearably low. Toward the end of the Reconstruction era, something very significant happened. That it that is what was known as the pulpist movement. The leaders of the movement began awakening the poor white masses and the former Negro slaves to the fact that they were being fleeced by the emerging bourbon interests. Not only that, but they began ununiting the Negro and the white masses into voting blocks that threatened to divide, to drive the bourbon interest from the common post of a political power in the South. To meet this threat, the Southern aristocracy began immediately to engineer this development of segregated society. I want you to follow me through here because this is very important to see the roots of racism and denial of the right to vote. Through their control of mass media, they revived the doctrine of white supremacy. They saturated the thinking of poor white masses with it and thus clouding their minds with a real issue involved in the pulpist movement. Then they then directed the placement of the books of the Southern of the South of Laws that made it a crime for the Negroes and the whites to come together as equals at any level. And that did. It the crippled and even and eventually destroyed that crippled and, and eventually destroyed the populist movement and the, the pulpist movement in the nineteenth century. If it may be said of the slavery era that the white man took the world and gave the Negro Jesus, then may then it may be said that Reconstruction era that the Southern autocracy took the world and gave poor white man Jim Crow. He gave him Jim Crow, 
and when his wrinkled stomach cried out, yeah, uh, wrinkled stomachs cried out for food his empty pockets could not provide. He ate Jim Crow, a psychological bird that told him that no matter how bad he was off, how bad off he was, at least he was a white man, better than a black man, and he ate Jim Crow. And when his undernourished children cried out for necessities that his low wages could not provide, he showed them the Jim Crow signs on the buses and in the stores, on the streets, and in the public buildings. And his children, too, learned to feed upon Jim Crow, their last outpost of psychological oblivion. Thus, the threat of the free exercise of the ballot by the Negro and the white masses alike resulted in the establishment of a segregated society. They segregated Southern money from poor whites. They segregated Southern moves from the rich whites. Southern, Southern moors from the rich whites. And they segregated Southern churches from Christianity. They segregated Southern minds from honest thinking. And they segregated the Negro from everything. That's what happened when the Negro and the white masses of the South threatened to unite and build the great society, a society of justice where none upon, where none would prey upon the weakness of others, and the society of plenty where greedy and poverty would be done away, the society of brotherhood would er where every man would respect the dignity and worth of the human personality. We've come a long way since the travesties of justice was perpetuated upon the American mind. James Walton Johnson put it eloquently. He said, we have come over a way that with tears hath been watered. We have come treaded, treading our paths through blood of the slaughtered. Out of the gloomy past, th tis now we stand at last, where the white gleam of our bright star is cast. Today I want to tell the city of Selma, today I want to say to the state of Alabama, today I want to say to the people of America and the nations of the world that we are not about to turn around. We are but the move now. Yes, we are upon the move and no wave of racism can stop us. We are the move now. The burning of the churches will not deter us. The, boom, the bombing of our homes will not dissuade us. We are on the move now. The beating and the killing of our clergymen and the young people will not deter us. We are on the move now. The wanton release of their, un, of their known murderers would not discourage us. We are on the move now. Like an idea whose time has come, not even the marching of the mighty armies can halt us. We are moving 
to the land of freedom. Let us therefore continue our trumpet march to the realization of the American dream. <clears throat> Gotta drink some water. Let us march on segregated housing until every ghetto or social and economical depression dissolves and Negroes and whites live side by side in decent, safe, and sanitary housing. Yes, sir, let us march on segregated schools until every va vestiges of segregation and inferior education becomes a thing of the past and Negroes and whites study side by side in socially healing context of classrooms. Let us march on poverty until no American parent has to skip a meal so that their children can eat, may eat. March on poverty until no starving man walks the streets of our cities and towns in search of, a jo of jobs that do not exist. Let us march on poverty until wrinkled stomachs in Mississippi are filled. And idle industries of Appalachia are realized and revelated and broken lives and sweltering ghettos are mended and remolded. Let us march on ballot boxes until the salient misdeeds of bloodthirsty mobs will be transformed into calculated good deeds of orderly citizens. Let us march on ballot boxes until the Wallace of our Wallaces of our nation tremble away in silence. Let us march on the ballot boxes until we send to our city council, state legislators, and the United States Congress, men who will not fear to do justly, justly, love mercifully, and walk humbly with thy God. Let us march on the ballot boxes until brotherhood becomes more than meaningless word, word in the opening prayer, but the order of the day on every legislative agenda. Let us march on the ballot boxes until all our Alabama God's children will be able to walk the earth in decency and honor. There is nothing wrong with marching in this sense. The Bible tells us that the mighty men of Joshua merely walked about the walled city of Jericho and the, bury and the barriers of freedom came tumbling down. I like that old Negro spiritual, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, in a simple yet colorful depiction of a great moment of biblical history. It tells us that Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Up to the walls of Jericho they marched, spear in hand, go blow them Ram horns, Joshua cried, because the battle am in my hands. These words have given us, have given you just as they were given 
us by the unknown, long dead, dark skinned originator. So now, long gone, black, barred, bequeathed to posterity, these words in ungrammatically form, ungrammatical form, yet with empathy, pretense for all of us today. The battle is on our hands. We can answer and create nonviolence and call higher ground to which the new directors of our struggle summon us. The road ahead is not along this is not altogether the smooth one. There are no broad hallways that lead us easily in inevitably to quick solutions, but we must keep going. In a glow of lamp of lamplight on my desk a few nights ago, I gazed upon a wondrous sign of our times, full of hope, promise, promises of the future. And I smiled to see in the newspaper photos of many decades ago the faces so bright and solemn of our valiant heroes, the people of Montgomery. To the list may be added the names of those who fought and, yes, died in the nonviolent army of the day. Medgar Evers, three civil rights workers in the Mississippi last summer. William Moore, as has already mentioned, the Reverend James Reeb, Jimmy Lee Jackson, and four little girls of God in Birmingham on Sunday morning. But in spite of this, we must go on and be sure they did not die in vain. The pattern of their feet as they walked through Jim Crow barriers in the great stride toward freedom and the thunder of marching men of Joshua and the world rocks beneath the threat, their thread, their tread. My people, my people, listen. The battle is in our hands. The battle is in our hands in Mississippi and Alabama, all over the United States. I know there is a cry today in Alabama. We see it in numerous editorials. When will Martin Luther King, SCLC, SNCC, and all these civil rights alligators, yep, that's right, alligators, and all of the white clergymen and labor leaders of student and others Get out, of get out of our community and let Alabama return to its normalcy. But, it ha but I have a message that I would like to leave with Alabama this evening. That is exactly what we won't do. We won't, we don't want, and we will not allow to happen. For we, ha we know that it is normalcy and Marin that led to the brutal murder of Jim Lee Jackson. It was normalcy in Birmingham that led to the murder 
on Sunday morning of four beautiful, unoffering, uh, unoffending, innocent girls. It was normalcy on Highway 80 that led troopers to use tear gas and horses and billy clubs against unarmed human beings who were simply marching for justice. It was normalcy by the cafe in Selma, Alabama that led to brutal beating of Reverend James Reed. It was normalcy all over the country which led the Negro perish perishing on the lovely island of poverty, on the lonely island of poverty. Jeez, that's horrible. In the midst of vast oceans of material prosperity, it is normalcy all over Alabama that prevents the Negro from becoming the registered voter, a registered voter. No, we will not allow Alabama to return to normalcy. It's almost done. The only normalcy that we will settle for is a normalcy that recognizes the dignity and worth of all God's children. The only normalcy that will settle for this normalcy that allows judgment to run like waters and righteously like the, the mighty stream. The only normalcy we will settle for is a normalcy of the brotherhood and the normalcy of true peace and normalcy of justice. And as we go away this afternoon, let us go away more than ever before committed to this struggle and committed to nonviolence. I must admit to you there is still some difficult days ahead. We still we are still in for a season of suffering in many black belt countries in Alabama counties in Alabama, many areas of Mississippi, many areas of Louisiana, and I must admit to you there is still jail cells waiting for us in dark and different moments. But we but if we will go with the faith of not that nonviolence in its power can transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows, we will be able to change all the communities, the conditions. And I plead with you this afternoon as we go ahead, remain committed to nonviolence. Our aim never must never be to defeat or humiliate the white man, but to win his friendship and understanding. We must come to see at the end we seek is society at peace with itself, a society that can live with its conscience and will be a day not of the white man, not of the black man, that will be the day of man as man. I know you are asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice bind the versions of men, darken their understanding and drive bright-eyed wisdom from their sacred throne? Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice lying prostrate on the streets of Selma and Birmingham, the communities all over the South, be lifted from the, the, this dust of shame and reign supreme among the children of men. Sometime, somebody's asking, when will radiant star of hope be plunged against the nocturnal, nocturnal bosom of this lonely night, speak, speak, pluckingly, plucked from weary souls, 
with chains of fear and manacles of death. How long will justice be, be crucified and truth be buried? Bear it. Last, very last part. <sighs> How long? Not long. Truth, forever on the scaffold, long forever of the throne. Yet the scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown strengthen God with shadow keeping watch above his own long how long not long because the arc of the moral universe is long but to bend toward justice how long not long because mind eyes have seen the glory and the coming of the lord it has trampled over the vintage where the grapes of wrath have stored he has loosened the faithful lighting of the terrible swift sword the truth is marching on we he has sounded forth the trumpet and shall never call retreat he is sitting out of the heart of men the hearts of men before his judgment seat oh be swift my soul and answer him be jubilant my feet our god is marching on glory hallelujah glory hallelujah Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. <sighs> so, I know that was really long. <laughs> I know that's way longer than what people thought it would be. Um... I think the important part about it being long is that I've noticed a lot within about the last 15, 20 years of my life that people like to use excerpts from Martin Luther King on Martin Luther King Day that work for their narrative but don't necessarily say the truth of what he wanted. So, gleam that, hear the speech, understand the pain and what he wanted for people. Yeah. All right, my glass. I hope you're well. I hope everything seems to find you in the right ways and that you... Have a beautiful, beautiful weekend. And a beautiful week. And a beautiful month. And a beautiful year. I think we're just going to do a quick meditation. And then we'll be good. How's that sound? Hmm. So let's just focus on our breathing. Now I'm a painter, so oftentimes the moments of peace and tranquility that I find are often made up of the sounds of brushes making an endless ocean noise across a canvas. Just a... 
We're on a boat in the ocean. The water is peaceful. The breeze is going. We're looking up at the night sky. There's so many stars. So much beauty in the nature of these things. And as it goes, we go with it. The wind. It blows at our backs into the sails, pushes us forward. Put your hands in the water and you just kind of drag a little bit. Feel it against the tips of your fingers. It's like a dirty brush. You've got all this compounded kind of feeling and emotion and stress and all these things where your hands are. And as you drag them across the water, you slowly let go of those things. The ocean is a constant cycle of birth, life, death, and rebirth. And so we clean our energy from all the negativity and all the hopes and upsetness and the inability to live up to our dreams we haven't said out loud, but we expect ourselves to be able to do. We just breathe and let it go. The energy feeds the ocean and the ocean feeds the fish. And the wind blows off of the push of the waves. And it goes all the way around the world until it comes back to your back, to your fingers dragging against the water, cleaning yourself of all your worries and fears. You look into the wind and see just the spirit of creation, not an entity, but just the makings of all of the beginnings, the middles, and the continuums of all these things. Float on, my friends. My galeras, my jinshi, my meandes. Float on. All right, Galeras. So this is the end of the podcast. I hope you had a great time. I hope you learned some stuff. I hope you had just beautiful perspectives. Uh, check out those names. Look at all those beautiful and amazing people and realize when I hear people sometimes say, I can't draw anything. I'm not very good at this. And it's like, you draw like this one guy. And they're like, what? Who's that? And it's like, see, if you'd been taught that, you would know these things. And then you just have to Google and fall into the infinite abyss of the infinite i won't call it abyss the infinite fountain of knowledge that is google <laughs> when used properly <sighs> so please if you will go to any place that you listen to this podcast give it a five-star review and share so that other people can hear it and uh like i said before you can go to painter files on youtube to watch all the videos and live shows and all these things please join my patreon uh joara blake there'll be a link in the bio 
And if you would love to have a conversation with me about anything ever, (laughs) go to painterfilespodcast at gmail.com. Okay. I love you, Galeris. Thank you every day for all the great stuff you do. And I will talk to you next week. Painter out. Ciao.